Joy, joy, joy. That's a wonderful introduction to our instruction from the Heidelberg Catechism, which is in connection with the reading of Scripture and sermon this morning. Let us read responsively. How does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? In all my distress and persecution, I turn my eyes to the heavens and confidently await as judge the very one who has already stood trial in my place before God and so has removed the whole curse from me. All his enemies and mine he will condemn to everlasting punishment. But me and all his chosen ones he will take along with him into the joy and the glory of heaven. And now I invite you to open your Bible or one of the few Bibles to the Apostle Paul's letter to Titus, chapter 2, for the reading of God's holy word, verses 11 through 14. Let us ask the Lord whose spirit breathed out this word and preserved it for us in Scripture, now to breathe upon us afresh, to open our minds with spiritual understanding and open our hearts that we might receive it in true faith. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, we rejoice in the glory of your Son, our Savior, who for our sake and for our salvation came down from heaven and was made man and lived for us in perfect righteousness, offered himself for us as the substitutionary atoning sacrifice for all our sins, who triumphed over the grave and has ascended to your right hand where he intercedes for us. And therefore, in his name, we pray the blessing of your Holy Spirit upon us as your word is read and proclaimed. Grant us ears to hear and hearts to believe and souls to respond in faith to the gospel of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. To the glory of your name, amen. Titus chapter 2 Beginning at verse 11, God's word, it is written. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. The scripture says the grace of God has appeared and that we, through faith in him, are now waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We live in between the appearances. As we noted last Sunday, these four weeks of Advent, at least historically, are not so much about preparing for Christmas as they are about preparing for Christ's final advent, often referred to as his second coming. O come, 
O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. In that Advent hymn, captive Israel refers not to the Jews of the Babylonian exile of the 6th century B.C., nor to the secular democracy of modern-day Israel. But rather, captive Israel is a metaphor for the church, the new covenant Israel, God's people in Christ. We who are longing for our complete and perfect salvation, we who long and yearn for the redemption of all creation, deliverance from this present evil age, Deliverance from this fallen world when Jesus Christ comes again to bring his kingdom to glorious consummation. Heaven on earth. And this focus on Christ's final advent adds a note of solemnity and reverential fear to this season because it reminds us that the baby who was born in Bethlehem is the one who will appear in power and glory to judge the living and the dead. In the book of Acts, we read the words of the Apostle Paul regarding the final advent of Christ. The Apostle said, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness, by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So we say in the creed, he shall come again to judge the quick, the living, and the dead. It is both a solemn warning and a joyful promise. It is a solemn warning because Jesus Christ will judge all people. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It is a joyful promise to those whose faith is in Christ. Because as we read earlier from the Heidelberg Catechism, he himself has already placed himself under the judgment of God the Father on behalf of those who place their faith in him. And in him all the curse is removed from us. And the letter to the Hebrews emphasizes this joyful promise when it says, uh, and it also makes reference to the first advent and the second or final advent, when it says, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That is to bring our salvation to its glorious consummation. The passage we read from the Apostle Paul's letter to Titus speaks to us about these two appearances or advents of Christ. Verse 11 says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. That verse, the grace of God has appeared, refers to Jesus' first advent, his birth in Bethlehem, his sinless life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, his triumphant ascension into heaven. 
Jesus Christ is the grace of God. Jesus Christ is the grace of God who has appeared in this world. The grace of God is not merely an abstract idea. It's not an abstract concept. It's not even a doctrinal point. This is the whole point of Christmas. The incarnation, the enfleshment, the human appearance of the eternal Son of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the grace of God. And He has appeared. The scripture continues saying the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The words all people in this verse do not imply the salvation of each and every single solitary individual person who ever lived or shall live. It does not imply that every single solitary individual is eternally saved. Rather, it teaches that the grace of God in Jesus Christ has appeared for the salvation of all kinds of people. No one is excluded from the free offer of the gospel. People from every tribe and tongue and nation without regard to ethnic identity, cultural heritage, or worldly status. In that sense, Titus 2.11 is saying exactly the same thing as John 3.16. For God so loved the world, Jew and Gentile, people from every tribe and tongue and nation without distinction, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. And this, of course, is the gospel, the good news of Christmas. Remember what the angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news. I bring you the gospel of great joy that will be for all the people, all the people of the world. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So here's the gospel of Christmas, the Messiah of Israel, prophesied by the Hebrew prophets, is the Savior of the world, the Savior of all people who place their trust in Him. That's what Christmas is all about. And let us, I I probably don't have to say this, but just uh, because I want to push back a little bit on the culture, to believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation does not mean some kind of imaginary belief, right? It's not the power of positive thinking. I mean, you know, you see the T-shirts and the sweatshirts that say, I believe. We're not talking about that kind of imaginary magical belief. You know, Miracle on 34th Street is one of our family's favorite movies, We watch it every year. It's great seasonal 
entertainment, but it is atrocious theology. <laughs> Which I really think has infected American culture. Parents of young children, the same thing is, is true of the very funny movie Elf, right? Where it's the, this power of belief that creates a reality. We're not talking about that. Jesus Christ is the eternal reality. So to place our faith in Him, true faith in Jesus Christ, is a personal bond of love and gratitude with a decided trust in Him, a declared dependence upon Him, a commitment of conviction and personal allegiance to Him, a surrender and offering of yourself, all of yourself to Him. To believe in Christ is to live by faith from the depths of your inmost being with a settled conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord. In the knowledge that your life and your eternity depends on Him. And so to believe in Christ for your personal salvation is to give yourself to Him in love, faith. Because, as the Scripture says, verse 14, He gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession. Now note here that in this very brief verse which makes reference both to Christ's first advent and his final advent, this verse, this passage takes us right to the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is right at the center of this passage. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. It's all about the cross of Christ. We celebrate Christmas not simply because Jesus was born. We celebrate Christmas because the baby who was born in Bethlehem is the Savior who gave himself for us to redeem us from our lawlessness. He suffered in our stead as the substitutionary sacrifice to atone for all our acts of rebellion against God. The biblical language of redemption in this verse, to redeem us from all lawlessness, is the language, it's the biblical language for buying slaves out of slavery, purchasing freedom for slaves. This language, to redeem us, brings to mind... The exodus from Egypt by the blood of the Passover lamb. And that being a a foreshadowing of the redemption that we have in Christ. We were enslaved to our lawlessness. That is our sinful nature in rebellion against God. Which would otherwise keep us enslaved to our sinfulness. And therefore enslaved by guilt and the tyranny of Satan, but Christ, by his substitutionary sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection, 
has redeemed us from that. He has purchased our freedom out of that slavery by his blood shed for us. But that's not all that he has done for you or will do for you. There is more. The child of the manger is the Christ of glory. This is the point which the world completely misses during the Christmas season. The birth of Jesus was just the beginning of the story, the true story. But there's more. There's more to the story. This same brief passage from Titus, which looks back to Jesus' first advent, his first coming, also looks forward to his final advent, referring to it as our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, has appeared. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will appear. We live in the present age. We live in between the appearances. He appeared in grace, in humility, in meekness. He will appear again in power and glory to judge the living and the dead. This is our blessed hope. The hope of the coming of Jesus Christ in power and glory at the end of history to bring God's redeeming work for all creation to its glorious consummation. This is what we're headed for and this is what is headed toward us. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us. And as this passage says... This reality of his final advent ought to have a great impact on our lives and ought to make a real difference in the way that we live. Zealous for good works. But let's listen carefully to what God's word says in this passage about Christ's final advent. First of all, there's no no speculation about when it will occur. There's no speculation about circumstances of world events or world politics. There's no sensationalism or hype. Unfortunately, it is true, throughout history, certain Christian groups have engaged in speculation, have attempted to predict Christ's return. Today, those same mistakes are made of speculation, sometimes when there's a massive earthquake or when there's been a political disturbance in the Middle East or even recent developments in the Middle East. We go astray when we let those external events influence our perspective. If we take the Bible seriously, Jesus himself, we will accept what it plainly says. No man knows the day or the hour, and therefore we all are to be ready for the coming of the Lord every hour of every day. And this little itty-bitty passage tells us how to be ready every hour of every day. It tells us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, and to be zealous for good works. This is how we are to live between the appearances, between his first advent and his final advent. We live in the present age as the people of his kingdom, citizens of heaven, renouncing the ungodliness of this world, living upright, godly lives, and serving the Lord zealously with good works, making a difference in this world, letting your light shine and being the salt of the earth. Living in day-by-day faithfulness is the best way to prepare for the coming of the Lord, living day by day as faithfully obedient 
Humble disciples of Jesus Christ, zealous for good works in this world, is the best way to prepare for his glorious appearing. The doctrine of the second coming does not lead to passive escapism or inaction in the world, but to the contrary, it is the basis and the motivation for active obedience for the sake of good in this world, for the sake of bearing witness to the kingdom of God in this world until Christ comes again. And we do so in the assurance that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. You might wonder, well, the Lord has not returned in 2,000 years. Perhaps he will not return in my lifetime. So how is his final advent relevant to my life today? The final advent of Jesus Christ is a reality of immediate relevance to your life. Because it doesn't matter whether Christ's coming in glory occurs in 10 minutes or in 10,000 years from now. Don't worry. No matter when, you're not going to miss it. Whether Christ comes in 10 minutes or in 10,000 years, you're going to witness it. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised and every eye shall see him and we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It will be an existential reality for you. And despite the differing interpretations of end times passages, the Christian church throughout the world, throughout history, has confessed continues to confess today with one voice and one heart that Jesus Christ shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. The doctrine and hope of the final advent has been at the very core of historic Christian faith since the time of Jesus' ascension into heaven. The blessed hope of Christ's glorious appearing burns brightly on the pages of the New Testament. In that sense, we may say that the Christian faith is indeed a future-oriented faith as we look to that great and last day. The Apostle Paul wrote in the great 8th chapter of Romans when he wrote, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, and that is the glory of Christ and the glory of his new creation, the glory of heaven on earth, the glory of all things made new, the glory of this whole creation set free from its bondage to decay, when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is our blessed hope. Now, you know, during this Advent and Christmas season, everyone expresses hope for peace on earth, goodwill toward man. Everyone expresses the hope for a better world, and we all you know, are encouraged to try to do a little bit better during this season. Everyone wishes for a world filled with both love and righteousness. But for the true Christian, for the church of Jesus Christ, this is not just a romantic hope, a romantic, naive hope. It is our blessed hope. It is a sure and certain reality. It is fixed. By God. It it is not just a wistful wish. It is the promise of God guaranteed by the death and resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. It is the end of the story. The blessed hope of Christ's return gives us a vision for a new creation, a redeemed creation, a deathless creation unstained by sin, untouched by evil, and free from the curse of death. If we've lived long enough, we know that the holly jolly holidays can be pretty tough for some people. I know people, and so do you, who really aren't looking forward to Christmas because it will only accentuate their grief. We all know people who will spend Christmas in the hospital waiting for their next chemotherapy treatment, visiting their loved one in an Alzheimer's unit, wishing their husband, wife, father, mother, son, or daughter were home with them for Christmas, safely home from the battlefield, Where is their happiness in the holidays? Where is their joy? The answer is that their joy and ours ultimately can be found only in our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, when he comes to judge the world in righteousness, he will, in the words of Tolkien, make everything sad come untrue for those who love him and who eagerly await his appearing. When he comes to judge the world in righteousness, he will make all things new. Death will be undone. Those who have died in faith will be raised to everlasting life in Christ's renewed and redeemed creation. Our mortal bodies will be clothed with glorious immortality. The perishable will be made imperishable. Christ's redeemed people for whom he suffered, every wound will be fully healed, every broken heart mended. He saves our tears in a bottle, and the day is coming when they will be poured out as the laughter of his kingdom. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as, far as, far as the curse is found. Finally and ultimately, all wrongs will be righted. Perfectly righteous judgment will be meted out upon evil. The wicked will be no more. God will be vindicated. It shall be finally and fully revealed that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee shall bow to him and every tongue will confess him Lord. Some with despair and shame, some with triumphant joy. God's glory will fill the earth. God's goodness, wisdom, and love will be all in all. And God's holy and loving and righteous purposes will be accomplished And his creation will be renewed and redeemed. And the redeemed shall enter in with everlasting joy upon their heads. The baby of Bethlehem is the king of glory. He who was born in humility 
crucified in shame, will come again in power to judge the living and the dead and to bring his kingdom to its glorious consummation, heaven on earth. You and I are called to be ready for that day as we live now between the appearances to the glory of his name. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray that your word would strengthen our hearts in true and saving faith and that your spirit would empower us now to live as your redeemed people faithfully, to renounce ungodliness and to live on earth as the citizens of heaven, zealous for good works. To the glory of your name, amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith, the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history.